Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Giancarlo Esposito began his acting career on the Broadway stage as an enslaved child in the musical Maggie Flynn. After various onstage performances, he moved on to the big screen, teaming up with director Spike Lee on hit films like School Days, Do the Right Thing, and Malcolm X. He's also been seen in some hit TV series like Breaking Bad, The Mandalorian, and Godfather of Harlem. On this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast, Giancarlo Esposito reflects on his various roles throughout his extensive acting career and what it was like growing up as a mixed child during a tumultuous time in American history. Congressman, nice to see you. Hey there, how are you? Good, good. You know, I am... I'm loving Godfather of Harlem. You guys cannot get back on the screen soon enough for me. I'm telling you, it's a show with all of our very enriched history. Uh, Also a show that brings us into a contemporary time period in regard to how it's framed musically and visually. And also a show that's so pertinent as to what's going on in the world right now. It seems the history repeats itself. Yeah, did you know that you had magic on your hands when you guys started it? Because I do feel like you have magic there with it. As you said, even the music, even the way you guys use your opening. I think you guys have the best opening to a show I've seen in a long time. Uh, Did you know you had magic on your hands when it started? Well, I felt as if the writing was very solid and that the ideas behind the uh, the way the show was put together were also innovative. And I love our opening as well. I think it's very, very powerful. And yes, we felt a certain magic happening. You know, we started right before pandemic and we had uh, just brilliant creators and Chris Brancato and Forrest Whitaker and Marshawn Smith, who bought the original idea to Forrest. Uh, It felt as if we were doing something that was really, um, that, that needed to be heated right now in our time, you know? And to link up the, the contemporary aspect of what's happening now with what we've been through uh, in historically as African-Americans fighting for our, our, our in, a, in a peaceful way and fighting for our freedom, um, really changed our idea and commitment uh, in regard to how we're doing this particular show. Oh, interesting. Oh, interesting. So you, so you feel like you guys have been enriched by the last year and a half. You think that that's added an urgency or a, an approach to the work? Absolutely. You know, when you feel as if you've come so far and there's a certain amount of progress that's been made. And then you look back historically as to the bumps in the road that came with the civil rights movement, you realize that uh, we still have a long way to go. Um, When you link up Black Lives Matter and all of the police shootings that have been happening across the country, as well as the school shootings, you realize that people are still um, in a very desperate situation in regard to how they feel uh, being a part of this American system. Where do you find yourself right now? Do you find yourself hopeful on questions of race and inclusion and fairness? Uh, do you find yourself resigned? Do you find yourself unsure? Where, where do you find yourself uh, today? 
I always uh, look for the hope in things. Uh, I feel as if uh, all else is a distraction. Uh, I feel like, you know, we have major, major fish to fry in regard to our environment and in regard to um, all of the uh, things that have hit us in the last year, COVID, uh, and that all else has been something to distract us and, and separate us. So I'm hopeful that the things that are happening in the world are, are going to start to wake people up and have them realize that we're all in this together. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's that old saying, you know, it's, uh, you know, divided we fall, you know, united we stand. And there has to be a new consciousness that's, that's in uh, not only acceptance, but in um, a, a, a beautiful, loving coordination between Asian, African-American, white, uh, poor, rich. Uh, the disparities have been much too great. And so people are suffering uh, because they're in their own personal life struggle. And I think when you start to realize that, uh, that you have a responsibility uh, to each other, look at what COVID's done. It's, it's allowed us to realize we have a responsibility. This show, Godfather of Parliament, allows me to realize not many people knew who um, Adam Clayton Powell Jr. was and how he fought for so many uh, different um, freedoms, 868 bills passed in Congress, someone who was uh, not willing to be corrupt which is such a difference than what we have today. A guy who loved to live life, formidable in his, uh, in his preaching on Sunday morning at Abyssinian Baptist Church, but also an incredible lawyer. And, and most of our young people don't know how much he forwarded uh, the movement uh, and came clashing uh, into the movement as well because of his personal life and some of his personal habits, but yet was a man of morality and integrity. So I think when you start to look back at, at, at that kind of history, you realize, even from the story of Bumpy Johnson, he wanted to help people in his neighborhood. He wanted to help them better themselves. He, he did bad things to do good things. Uh, Giancarlo, you grew up at a time when there weren't as many mixed marriages um, uh, when, when, you know, Loving v. Virginia, the landmark case here in the U.S., uh, made interracial marriage legal more broadly. What was it like for you growing up as a mixed kid at a time when, again, that wasn't as common and there certainly was probably greater risk, I assume. I don't want to project, but I assume there was potentially greater risk for your parents and even maybe for yourself. Most certainly. It wasn't understood um, how cultures could mix and colors could mix, and, uh, and it wasn't acceptable. Uh, so I was looked at very oddly, and it was a hurdle I had to overcome in most of my childhood. Uh, and I reflect upon that uh, now that I have mixed race children as well. And I, I have a third child. I have four children, but the third one, Sir Lucia, is, is a little darker. She's, she's almost my color or even darker as my mother was. And the others are sprinkled in between. And so I know that when she goes to a soccer game, when she was in high school, she was a, a, a four-sport athlete, President's Award winner, uh, just an amazing athlete and a 4.0 student that when she was on the field, uh, all the other mothers and fathers were looking around for her parents and uh, would doubt that that Mama Joy was her mother. So it still exists that there's not quite the link up that we are uh, people who can intermarry and have uh, culturally diverse families. So for me, it was something that was really painful because, of course, I wanted to belong and be accepted. And I think part and parcel of me being an actor was to find a home and a family that was accepting of me uh, for all of who uh, I am. And that was a difficult situation until I got to the Broadway stage where we're just performers, thespians, gy gypsies, and otherwise, Shakespeareans, and otherwise, that it, it was a, a different kind of acceptance into that family. But that was also a struggle because I came up in the business in the 60s uh, where, you know, we had Pearly Victorious and we had Pippin and we had Hair. Uh, but most of the shows that were all African-American shows, um, we became the entertainment. Um, people love to come see. And that's the old stereotype, right? That black people can, you know, shuck and jive and entertain. And, and that's their position and their place. That's what led me and guided me to become a dramatic actor. Because I wanted to cross over. I, I didn't want to just be the entertainment. I'm a singer, a dancer. Um, uh, I also direct now and an actor. But I had to, to get work. I had to become Spanish. 
I had to trade on my Italian background because no one knew Franco Harris. We had then he was a football player who was half Italian, half black. And who, uh, you know, I love to see that because that was my mixture exactly. And so, so people didn't have an understanding then of the cultural blending um, that is more and more uh, our world today. You know, it's so interesting that you say that because today, you know, uh, many black women who I know often say in Italy, they find a warmer reception among Italian men than in many other parts of the world. And so it's interesting that that I wonder whether there is some kind of connection uh, between Italy and, and black people that maybe uh, we don't fully appreciate. Because as, even as I'm saying this out loud, I'm thinking about Ed Brooke. I don't know if you remember him, but the former uh, senator who met his wife while he was uh, serving World War II in Italy and and several other uh, black and Italian couples. There are so many of those stories. Um, you know, when the U.S. liberated Europe, um, there certainly was a joy and an immense feeling surrounding all of the soldiers. African-American soldiers were accepted in a different way because they oftentimes were the fierce fighters who came in and liberated smaller villages that weren't so large on the map to get that newsworthy credit. And they were accepted in a beautiful way because they had soulfulness. And so I think that for me is the, the common denominator is I feel like Italian people are soulful, just like African-American people, black people are soulful. We love music, we love food, we love interaction. And that is the Italian way of life. So it's not lost on me that that connection uh, was so fiercely uh, forged during that period of time. My mother went um, on a Marian Anderson scholarship to Europe to sing um, uh, opera. And she had gone via International House of New York and then went to Alla Scala in Milano and San Carlo Opera uh, at the base of the boot in Napoli. And she met my father, who was a stagehand. And they culturally were on the same wavelength. I mean, isn't that the way love is and the way we connect with human beings when we're on the same wavelength, have grown up maybe during the same period of time, but have the same likes uh, in regard to music and art and dance and poetry and theater. And so they connected on that level because they were both in that world, albeit they were in different areas of that particular world. My father being such a wonderful opera buff and an admirer of great music and great song and poetry, and my mother being the performer. So I think that was the allure that happened between them. But getting back to that connection, uh, the European connection to me is very similar to the African-American Black soulful connection that we have here in the States. Uh, our lives are musical. Our lives are stories. Our lives are, range from the griot to the, to the African uh, that, that are so ingrained in different parts of our culture and geographically in our states. So when you go to different parts of the South, you get some of that culture because like New Orleans was at one point, it, was, it went all the way, I think, all the way to Maine before the, 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 the Lewis and the Purchase, Lewis and Clark. But then... You know, part of our whole United States was from New Orleans, and that was a port city. And port cities have that kind of very worldly feeling because the French came, the Spanish came, the Italians came. So those mixtures are, are quite profound, and they make for um, a, a better world. You know, I, I know that the, 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 the white culture of America, that puritanical uh, Protestant culture, was so against mixing up the races because they talked about diluting the race. But for me, I, I had a hard time in, in show business because I had to learn how to be black in a way, be the black man that the viewer wanted to see, as opposed to the, that's why I love playing pal. I mean, this guy was smart, intelligent, didn't even really look black. It's talked almost like a Southern Dixie crowd way up here. He was, you know, he was that kind of man. And he had soul and power. And a man who had to find himself, too, after a year in college of passing for white. That's how white he was. But he was from Albany and Troy, New York, and grew up in the church. So you never, you can't judge that by just the, the, the book, by its cover, by just the face of it. You know, and that's what, you know, our culture or the white puritanical Protestant Catholic culture here judges. Um, they judge it on a different thing. It's not meritocracy as it is in Europe, as it is in other places. Now, I, I think the fear 
of that blending was that it would dumb down or dilute the, the race and the culture, but I think it actually extends it. I think it actually allows us to have a, a, a more open attitude. And I know for me, growing up in my home, I, I, couldn't, I, I wouldn't have survived any other way. To, to understand that cultural difference between my parents, I'll tell you a story. We were in Germany. I think I was three or four years old. And as a young child, I think many children are less jaded than we become as we continue our journey because we, we pick up things that we need to fight for. And we become jaded in certain ways. So we were in Germany, in, in Hamburg, and my mother was performing at the Hamburg Staatsopera. And we, uh, the knock came on the door, and it was a delivery man. And we opened the door, and we ran. This guy was from uh, the Ivory Coast. He was blue-black. You know, his skin was so dark. It was glistening and shining. And we ran away screaming. And my brother started screaming, Schwatza, Schwatza, Schwatza. And we ran to the closet. And my mother, that's when she first realized, oh, these boys have not seen color, really. And so she, she had to explain to us, this is a man from the other part of the world. And I, that was a great moment for me because I didn't see him as black. I knew his skin was black. Could have been a ghost, black ghost, white ghost. But then from that moment on, I realized the cultural difference in our world is supposed to be exposed to each other. We're supposed to have that experience. And I think that was the first time that I really realized, oh, I want to go to Africa. What are those people like? What is their culture like? How do they live? And so for me, it always became the cultural differences in our world of human beings and how, how they live in their world. It was never about black or white. So I was astounded when I came to America in the 60s and there was, you know, this black and white thing was very, very um, new and shocking to me that I was not accepted, that I was like, oh, and when I went to the black church, my mother was a singer in the church and she'd say, oh, you, the, the, the women there would go, oh, he's so pretty. He's so pretty. He got that black hair. He got that good hair. He got that good hair. Like, oh, he's so lucky. He got that good hair. You know, because you could then pass and be accepted into a culture uh, that really doesn't um, doesn't really is not yours. Um, but that gives you the idea that you were able to pass. I knew Cat Calais when I was young. I knew Lena Horne. I met her, uh, Josephine Baker, all people who were refined in some way, which that meant you were accepted on another level. Interesting. And, and Josephine Baker, was she mixed? Josephine was not mixed, but light skin. Josephine was not mixed. And what about... I don't believe so. And, and uh, Lena Horne was mixed, though. Lena Horne was mixed. Cab Calloway looked like he was mixed, but I don't believe he was. So it, it draws us to school days. Yeah. Light skin, dark skin, blacks. Yeah. yeah. You know, which is that interesting investigation that Spike did in that movie, which was so very important. Because we are told how to feel about ourselves and always have been. Uh, i.e. advertising, you know, it's like, so when I started to look at Powell and saw his nose and saw his hair, I went, this man ain't black. He can't be black. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, and then right. I, through my research, I had met him when I was young. So I was very blessed and had a leg up on my, my um, studying of this particular man. And because I you, met you, him. You, 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 you had met him and remembered him? You remembered yes, meeting him? I, I, my mother was uh, a huge fan of his and she worked at the, at the Cotton Club and uh, in Harlem, uh, she had a, a day job at Tomford Soda Fountain, uh, which was you know three blocks from Abyssinian. And she was spiritual and religious, so she took me to go see the preeminent, you know, the, the master African American preacher uh, and statesman Adam Clayton Powell. So I I remembered that event in my life, and uh, years later was met one of his sons. Uh, Adam Clayton Powell III, who also, for a period of time, was in politics as well. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. 
Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com news. That's LifeLock.com news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Talk to me a little bit about your parents. If you remember, what was it like for them being a mixed couple in the 50s? Because they must have met in the 50s. Is that right? So were they a mixed couple in the 50s and 60s That's and exactly 70s? right. They were. And, you know, I have, I have some fond memories and some other memories uh, uh, in Europe. Uh, it was difficult for them uh, because my mother was very dark and my father was olive skin and my father had a temper. And my father believed that, you know, we should live together as one. You know, he he fiercely defended uh, my mom and her African-American side of her. She was from Alabama. And uh, so I can remember, you know, I remember one cab ride in Europe where there was some discrepancy. The cab driver was was uh, looking in the mirror, trying to and making faces at my mother. And obviously there was a racial event happening and and. Uh, you know, my father cursed him out and they got out of the cab. Uh, you know, uh, I, I remember stories like this when I was young of non-acceptance because why are you together? What do you think this is? You know, we're not, you know, they, those people should stay with their own people. So for them, it was difficult and always had to be something that was looked at in their marriage. Uh, and so that becomes um, stressful. You know, how do you, how are you able to express yourself and live in peace, raise your kids in a way that allows them to be, to understand other cultures? And I think in America, we have a situation uh, where, you know, uh, Asians come and they live in their own neighborhood and they speak their own language and they don't go out of that circle. And, uh, and they turn the business over to another family that comes for five years. So they have experience of America, but they're not really blending in completely so but they become such a, a workforce here so that kind of thing has been uh truly um in our culture we come we live in our neighborhoods and we don't cross over and so we don't get to know um what other cultures really are about or invest ourselves in that investigation and what did that do and i apologize giancarlo if i'm focused so much on this i'm i find myself always intrigued about people finding themselves living in unexpected ways or places aren't the norm. So, for example, there's a meaningful uh, Japanese population in Brazil or in Peru, and I've always been intrigued there, or, or Jews in France or, or um, 
you know, Indians and parts of Africa like Uganda and Kenya have always been intrigued by what happens when you find yourself, depending on how you want to think about it, potentially an outsider. Um, what, what did this stress do to your parents' marriage, if anything? Did it make it stronger because it them against the world? Did it put so much stress on what is always a difficult thing, meaning love and marriage and relationship, such that it wore away at the beauty? What, what did it do to it? Well, I think my parents were both very strong. I mean, their marriage lasted a certain period of time in regard to how they loved each other. Uh, I think it did put stress on their marriage, but I think well, as I grew up, I realized they were stronger and closer uh, because of their bond was strengthened uh, because they, they realized each other as human beings. You know, when I went to Brazil, I saw so many uh, blonde and blue-eyed Italians when I, you know, when I um, went to Sao Paulo that I was really blown away. Uh, even in the beach, there's a whole section there that's all German and all Italian, and they're all Spanish, but they look Germanic. Uh, so I love it when I'm exposed to those particular places in the world where people have found a way to, to get along. For me, it changed my life because it had me uh, find myself as a human being. Um, because you have to, when you think about my life, I, I played a slave kid in Maggie Flynn in a Broadway musical uh, with Jack Cassidy and Shirley Jones. Uh, and then I transitioned from that into playing many different Spanish roles so I could get work. So there was a certain me chasing what cultural heritage, trying to preserve my own culture, cultural heritage, but, you know, uh, as my kids use, uh, appropriating others, right? So they're like, Papa, you, know, you, I said, well, I'm an actor. I can appropriate whatever I want. You know, but, but I understand what they think because they're very aware are young people of appropriation. And they feel like that is a rub for them. And so it's the next level of that trying to find yourself. But I found myself because I found, okay, when African-Americans didn't accept me until after do the right thing, uh, then people started to go, oh, look at this guy. But I had been acting for a long, long time. But when they saw me play Bugging Out, they claimed school days began that do the right thing afterwards. I, I'm in debt to Spike Lee because he helped me to understand uh, who I am in many different situations because of the characters I play. So for me, it allowed me to know that I'm just going to be the best I can be. I'm not going to, and I had an agent back then who said to me when I went to get work, you, you have to stop talking uh, when they, when you greet them or they greet you, you should, shouldn't say anything. And I said, what do you mean, Toby? Agent I love the God rest her soul. She said, well, you're very intelligent. And so that's a giveaway. So you have to maybe, she was very honest with me, dumb that down a little bit. And that led me to winning an OB award for Charles Fuller, Zoom Man and the Sign at the Negro Ensemble Company, uh, because I went to the streets of Philly to research gang kids and hang out and feel that vibration. And I realized I got to change how I speak. And that clued me into a whole other part of my craft, which was learning about my locality, trying, trying to change how I speak. You know, I play Gus Fring now on Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad before that. I use accents. I, I'm a singer, but you can tell I project. So I take away my voice. I do things like this. I, you know, I go like that. If I'm, if I'm speaking like Spanish or Chilean or Puerto Rican, it's a different rhythm. So it allowed me to get better at my craft and, and also to deepen who I am. I know who I am. I'm a performer. I now realize and understand completely that my whole background, you see me, I'm Italian. I gesticulate. I speak with my hands. I go to Italy and I'm home, you know? And, and so it's, 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 it's wonderful for me to have come to a position in place where I don't have to claim anything and take a road that's not mine. And so now I really understand my, my blackness and, and, and also my Italian. Italian culture, and I feel comfortable right in the middle of all that. Giancarlo, do you have sisters or brothers? I do. I have, a, I have one older brother, uh, a year older than me, and I have two half-sisters as well. And what was his experience? My brother is a little bit lighter than me, and so he was favored by my grandmother when my mother and father brought us back over from Italy and dropped us off for six months to live with grandma. Uh, she was very cautious around my brother and also around my father because she didn't feel 
I think ultimately that a marriage, an interracial marriage could work. So she was suspect of this Italian man. And so she, as we were young, she, uh, in that six months, I think my brother suffered a bit because he was light skinned and she didn't really like white people. Uh, you know, she played organ in the black church and her world was in the African-American community. It wasn't any larger than that. So that's what I mean when we, when we start to become citizens of the world, that we don't want to trade or lose our cultural essence, but that we are able to keep that, preserve that, celebrate that, and yet understand that I'm, I'm, I'm part and parcel of my culture, but I'm also um, deeply rooted in who I am as a human being. And all of my experiences and backgrounds play into that. So I was like, we used to ask me, like, if there's a, a you know, so, 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 so you're most from Alabama. You follow, yeah, so he's from Italy. So he's white. I said, well, he's olive. He's white. I said, well, he's olive. So if it's a race war, like, what side are you going to take? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Spike, Spike would always ask me the profound questions, which is why I really loved him, you know, because he was trying to figure out his understanding of that mixed race cultural experience as well. And so I realized I don't have to pick sides. I can take all sides. But that's my personal feeling because all of that is lent to me to play some incredible characters, especially and specifically in the last few years that have enhanced my, um, how do I say it, my creativity, but also my understanding of our world. Because when you get to entertainment music, right, people sort of shed that black and white thing. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, and so for me, it's been really wonderful to witness that coming together. For example, I'm a big jazz aficionado, and I, I love music. Uh, I play a little bit. I knew Dexter Gordon and um, went, I, I, I built Bill Evans, Lillian's Monk, uh, all these, Philly Joe Jones, all these big players. And I noticed that music, and I met Louis Armstrong when I was 10 in Queens at his house. So he was the ambassador of the club, and he became a mentor to me in ways, just in my view of how a man could be. And some people said, oh, look, look at that big smile. He's smiling for the white folks or whatever that is. He was smiling because he was in love with life. And because what he did was he, he ignited people's energy. And that's who Louis was. He was the ambassador of love. And nothing but joy and love. And one of the first recording artists ever to carry Trump around and record his own music. He went all over the world to really promote peace through his musicality and his incredible talent. Played with white folks, black folks, you know, Mississippi folks, Indiana folks, you know what I mean? So I always wanted to be that kind of human being. That, but he never lost his Louis. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. He, had, he kept his Louis Armstrong intact and never left Corona Queens with his own people, which is beautiful. So to me, that, that depicts a world that where we need to go. Because I feel like a lot of what is happening politically today is to divide us, to create that division that has us focused on something that I'm not going to say is not important, but that is a distraction to us really coming together. Did you know Trump at all? Had you bumped into Trump in uh, various places and circles? Yes. Uh, yes, I have. Uh, because I, I'm a I'm a New Yorker after Italy, and I remember uh, meeting Donald and uh, and his first wife in in front of uh, uh, we were shooting a film. I was shooting with Christopher Walken uh, a movie that Abel Ferrar directed called King of New York, and uh, we were using the plaza, their little circle driveway, and I remember uh, I remember them knocking on the, on the limo w window and Chris and I were getting ready to shoot, doing a scene that gets out at the plaza. And there was, there was Donald Trump and, and Chris was like, what, what's going on? And they were like, well, can you just take a moment and meet this dude? He's like, what dude? And Chris was like, and so we, we stepped over and, uh, and met him. Uh, and he was just to me, uh, you know, a real estate guy, a businessman. Uh, but uh, certainly someone who was smart enough to, to take the, 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 the politics of those in middle America who are some, who are poor, poor whites, and embolden them uh, to, to, to be paid attention to 
now. And he he really uh, he really moved on that in a way that uh, I think it, it was part parcel of his genius. Unfortunately, the leadership that was offered wasn't quite what we wanted <laughs> at the time or needed. Uh, and so now we have to backtrack and back to uh, something that's more cohesive that will allow people. See, everyone wants to claim a certain part of our country and they want to claim that it's theirs, but it really is all of ours. And, and that's the understanding that has to start happening. Uh, I try to stay away from talking about politics. We've talked about politics so much, but uh, uh, and I get slammed for it because I say I believe in the Republicans. I believe in the Democrats. I, I believe that the thinking is a little skewed and that it, it really is connected to money. So when we say politics, why don't we just take that word out of it and say money? You know, you know, corporate money, who's getting ahead, who's making it, and how are they making it? That sort of skews our view of how to have an equal system that serves all. Who would, who would your ideal president be? Who would you love to see as president? Well, right now, I don't know if I have that ideal president. I think, it, I think we came, well, I, I, I know who would be the ideal president. Well, look, I think it's got to be someone young. I like this Buttigieg guy guy, you know, Buttigieg. I mean, I like him because I think he is, uh, he's progressive in his name. Uh, I think we need someone young with a spiritual essence who regards all people, who's not sexually put in a box and not looked down on for, for whatever their sexual preference is. Uh, but I think we need someone, I, I mentioned him because there's an honesty about him and a no nonsense feeling uh, about him. Uh, I like Cory Booker, straightforward, you know, a guy who's intelligent, smart, and speaks to the issues. Uh, I, I just think that that our political system is so skewed to serving corporations and not serving the people. And I think it's important to get back. I mean, look, it, it's, it's by the people for the people, right? So when you think about that, like we, we, it's time to stand up and, and understand that this is our country and we shouldn't let political parties um, sort of skew us to just the corporate way. Um, we have to start to look at other ways because we're looked at as the leader or have been until recently, you know? And I think uh, we have that power to take it back, but it, it has to be, it has to come back in a different way more compassionate, more understanding, uh, more equality. Uh, we're, we're so quick to jump hate because, um, look, uh, this is this is sort of the, the nature of our history. Stake your claim. <laughs> you know? right, right, right. And Godfather of Harlem has been so wonderful in its depiction of, of how we pushed back against that and we marched. You know, and we created that change, that positive change to to be able to allow ourselves um, as we have today, like, you know, different images of ourselves as successes, as powerful people, not to be judged by the color of their skin, but more to be uh, to be looked at in regard to the content of their character. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. 
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Gene Carlo, of all of the various roles you've had, what have been your two or three favorite using whatever definition of favorite you want to use? Yeah, I really have loved working on, on a piece called Night on Earth with Jim Jarmusch. Uh, it, it originally was titled L.A., New York, Paris, Rome, Helsinki, because you get that world culture. And it takes place all at the same time in all of those different places. And it was eventually titled Night on Earth. It's a film by Jim Jarmusch. It allowed me to be a wonderful actor named Armin Müller-Stahl, uh, who was really... Uh, really powerful. My section was with Armin and with Rosie Perez. Uh, I like films that, that travel you and take you around the world. So that was one of my favorite experiences. Also, uh, I have to say that uh, uh, Do the Right Thing, I feel like was, uh, it was a tumultuous time in New York with Tawana Brawley at that period of time. And Spike was yearning to make a political statement as well as a personal and spiritual statement and economic statement in that movie. Uh, and I feel like he masterfully handled that in such a beautiful way, giving us a sense of who we are and our culture and how that impacts us in a world that's changing rapidly. Uh, so that favorite of mine. Uh, I also love this TV show, this little show called Breaking Bad that I did because it allows us to look into a world that we didn't know about. And I remember reading a story in a, a magazine. I had been to Utah several times and uh, went to the temple, the Mormon temple, just to check it out. I mean, it wouldn't quite let me in, but I could walk around the grounds to understand what that whole Joe Smith thing was, you know? And uh, uh, so I had read an article about two Mormon boys who went and uh, eventually were scooped up by some meth makers and got caught up in the world of meth, making meth. And I thought, this is intriguing. And it was at a time where this wasn't getting a lot of publicity. I thought, oh, I want to be a part of a show that exposes something. That's an expose that allows us to be entertained, but also shows us um, that that moral tale, because after all, we're in a world and society where, you know, the better I do, the more I feel like I'm a success. And I might feel like I'm a success just because I'm Giancarlo Esposito, you know, because of who I am and what I've cultivated inside. Uh, but uh, my world is certainly different because um, people now want to be there on that screen. They want to emulate that energy and feeling and be, uh, be looked at all the time and be you know, uh, sort of respected. Uh, that's where they get their feeling. They're being validated. And I get that feeling now from the action in, in, in regard to what I do. You know, I'm, I'm off the set a few minutes and each time I go in to do some work that's not really me, that is quote unquote play acting, I get excited because uh, there, there's, there is a power in that creativity, just as I have you know, for Gus Spring and also for Mandalorian. Um, that's a new world for me, being in a Star Wars universe and, and so well. But I, I mentioned this show because it's particularly because it allows that power of myth, you know, the power of mythology. Why do I love being in, that, in a Black community, African-American community so much? Because we have stories, you know, and those stories impact me. Those stories uh, inspire me. And so in Mandalorian, we, you know, although it, it is that 
world and, and we're in a world that has completely collapsed. My character, Moff Gideon, feels like in the back of his mind, the way that he can build this world and that child that he wants has capabilities that would allow that he is in his mind make something good by trying to get this child because he feels like it could save our universe. Well, gosh, aren't we in that place now? But at the same time, hearkening back to the mythology of the hero journey, right? That's what we have in, in our African culture, the hero journey. The, the stories that get told to the young people are stories of success and stories of turmoil and stories that, uh, that uh, aren't always turning out really great, but the, the, deep down they delve into developing character. And these are human stories. And so I'm so interested in that because in, in our, our world, we have these stories in every culture we uh, experience. And those are the stories that empower us to be all of who we can be and to stand up in a world that is like our Mandalorian world falling apart. But how do we rebuild that? And it's possible when we're able to be accepting of our own true power. Right, we have to be sometimes validated and told um, because everything that we get from advertising tells us if I'm wearing Zania or Boss, I'm a bad boy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So, but is it that outward or the inside? What is truly allows me to excel and to connect with who I really am? For me, it's about bringing everyone to their their, their highest self, their better self, which means you know, being motivational, which means being compassionate, understanding, and supportive. And that's what builds a world that, um, that allows the kind of change that we want to be a part of. So who would be, you know, who would be that person, that president, you know, that, that could guide? It's someone who has some spiritual essence. It's someone who has an understanding of human beings and a visionary understanding of what our world would need. So I think it has to come outside of the system. I think our political world is, is going to be reformed and reshaped very, very soon. I think it's starting to happen. Well, I, I, it's so fun, Jane Carl. I, I think you were right about the reshaping, the rebuilding. I think, I think what you said about Hero's Journey is incredibly powerful because I think that part of what Bill Clinton did in 92 when he set himself up, I don't know if you remember, as the man from hope or the boy from hope, is he recast himself not as kind of a failed man, but as kind of someone who's on a hero's journey. Jimmy Carter did something similar. Uh, uh, Ronald Reagan did something. Barack Obama did something in that regard. In fact, made it not just a hero's journey about himself, but about a larger set of people. And I think Mayor Pete never quite did that. And it's funny, I always thought that Secretary Clinton, then Senator Clinton, missed an opportunity for all the other things that were going on, including lots of sexism and misogyny. I thought there also was an opportunity where I think people wanted her to be a heroine. People want heroes and heroines, as you, as you said before, because it's, it's inspirational, it's clear. And I think for whatever combination of reasons, she didn't allow herself to be uh, a heroine fully. I, just like I think, by the way, Mitt Romney didn't allow himself to be a hero. And I think, I think people want that. And I think um, if Mayor Pete or if uh, Senator Booker is to end up having a chance, I think they'll have to do a little bit more to kind of, kind of make it clear to you that they are that, uh, that, uh, that hero. So I, I really I appreciate what you're saying about myth-making and the power of it and the power of it to sometimes awaken us and galvanize us and make us feel like there is a way forward when everything around us seems a little uh, uncertain. Absolutely. You know, I feel like Barack Obama embodied that. I mean, he, he stepped out of himself and became just that sexy, handsome champion, but so intelligent. Blocked, excuse me, blocked at every turn, you know, sadly, but broke through on a level that no one else has been able to do because he was personal and charismatic. Bill Clinton had that opportunity as well. Bill makes you feel like you're the only person in the room. Hillary Clinton all of a sudden dried up at the moment that it was for her to shine. Um, I, I just, I didn't understand it. Uh, I, yes, we wanted her to be the heroine. We all wanted her to be in that position. Uh, Kamala Harris, man, I'm telling you, like I, I met Kamala years ago and knew she was a rising star, but what that did for my children 
right? For my mixed race children, yeah, we, we just want, I mean, someone smart, intelligent, bright, hopefully she'll get used more within the, um, the administration. Uh, but I agree with you. My favorite president, Jimmy Carter, his humanitarian essence there is the key, right? Like that humanitarian feeling you got off of Jimmy um, was pretty fabulous. You know, a little guy from Plains, Georgia, who really had the feeling in the sense that I want to feel um, could bring people together and was about people who had less and had struggled for so long. He was willing to support that and to teach people, give them a skill, give them uh, some kind of vocation so that they didn't have to feel like they're getting handouts, but they're doing it themselves. So those are the presidents that really moved me because they were less involved in the political thread, but um, used that thread to empower people uh, to, 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 for all boats to rise. And so I think it's, it's, it's in our future, that's the person we have to find uh, and, and, and really allow that because so many people have an agenda other than what they show you on the outside. And I think it's, it's, it's tied up in that very, very tight-knit group of corporation to government. And uh, I think that that's what the pushback is going to be. Uh, corporations are going to have to change and become a little bit more, uh, a little different in regard to the lobbying that goes into getting a president to office, all connected to the favors that come back. You know, <laughs> what, about all, what about the rest of us, you know? So, uh, but I do have hope. And I do feel like our younger, our next generation is going to start to see things differently because things are, our change is, is escalating incrementally. And our world um, is moving in a new direction in terms of its thought because there's other things that we really are important for us to focus on. Giancarlo, I want to, I hate that I'm going to have to let you go, but I want to do rapid fire before we go. May, may we do rapid fire briefly? Sure, why not? Um, what's your favorite play? of all time. Wow. Favorite play of all time. Well, that's a hard one. Uh, I, 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 yeah, I want to rattle off three or four that just come directly into my rapid fire. Okay. King Lear. King Lear. I take it. Um, uh, your favorite karaoke song. What do you sing when, uh, if you and I were out doing a little karaoke, what would you sing? If I were a carpenter and you were a lady, would you marry me anyway? <laughs> Rapid fire. <laughs> love that. Love that. All right. Um, uh, 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 your favorite place you've ever traveled, most beautiful place in the world you've ever been? Italy. Where in Italy? I love Sicily. Siracusa. Yeah. Yeah. Bama, Sicily. Hotel, Airbnb. Who are you? <laughs> Four seasons. <laughs> ah. I want to be comfortable, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that. I love that. Um, your favorite celebrity meeting of all time? Sydney Poitier. Where and when? Uh, Emmy Awards. Uh, I think it was 2013. Really nervous to go and tap him on the shoulder and tell him how he changed my life. First black man I saw not play his color. He played someone who was intelligent and smart, and he changed my life forever because he was defiant, not angry, uh, all about who, all completely comfortable in his own skin and uh, a leading man of, and ju it just, I, I tapped him on the shoulder and I just had to tell him how he changed my life. As a young actor who was looking for some footing in the business, he was the man who never ever um, dumbed himself down or played against his color. He was a human being and always has been brilliant and bright and um really uh that moment for me will live on forever mm, they call me mr tibbs i can't do it like they call did. me no wait a minute they call me mr tibbs oh yeah i i loved him too i um uh and, and so many uh good roles uh lilies of the field um um uh what's the one with um your boy uh uh, not Carol O'Connor, the other one. Um, heat of the night. In the heat of the night. The heat of the night. Rod Steiger. Uh, Rod rather. Steiger. Um, yeah. Uh, so many uh, uh, good. You know, the one that really always grips me is um, uh, the one that was based on the on Lorraine Hansberry's play, uh, Raisin in the Sun. Raisin in the Sun. I can 
I can feel all of that. I can feel uh, Walter Lee's hunger. I can feel his 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 hope, his frustrated ambitions, and 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 his mom. Oh, his mom. I mean, his mom. You know, uh, you know that saying they have in Mexico, "Como agua para chocolate," like water for chocolate. His mom loves him through it all, and uh, a, a beautiful, beautiful thing. All right, back to rapid fire. Where are you going to put that Emmy that you're going to win for Mandalorian? <laughs> On the mantle in the living room. <laughs> Carlos, I love you, man. Thank you. Uh, yes, I'm, I, you know, I, I feel like I've already won. I'm so grateful to Television Academy. And this is my fifth nomination, but it's going on the mantle in the living room. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm going to bring home the hardware, baby. I love it. I love it. That's Joe Namath. All right. Um, uh, give me a sneak peek at something cool uh, from the season finale from Godfather of Harlem. Give me a, give me a sneak peek. Give me something that's going to happen. Well, you know, uh, we're, we're coming to a time, every season of Godfather is a different year. And so different things happen. And Adam Clayton Powell's fought very hard uh, for the civil rights uh, bill to be passed. Uh, and so you'll see that uh, the words of uh, Livingston Wingate somehow could be true, um, that it's a piece of paper. And so what we need to know as human beings is that we get things passed and then we stop marching and, and stumping for justice because we have a bill that says you can do this, that, or the other, and it gets put aside or in the draw and we don't live it. And so, you know, uh, on the journey back from Washington, uh, where uh, Powell uh, wasn't, he, he wrote the bill, but couldn't go. Uh, Lyndon had to throw a bone to Martin Luther King and Powell and King weren't really getting along. We see the turmoil that hits New York uh, when a young man, uh, Powell, it happened to be same name as Powell's uh, was murdered by a police officer. So, you know, you, you see some of the aftermath of, of how we move forward and how we step backward and how we try to, you know, uh, figure out what happened. Uh, we can't forget. We have to keep working and striving to be better human beings uh, so that we can have a world that, um, that we would want to live in uh, together as one and in peace. Giancarlo, will, where will you and I get together when we get together in 20 years? Where, uh, where will we be? What will we be doing? What will you and I be talking about when we get together? Well, you know, I hope we're, we're talking about the progress. I hope that it's on a beach in Maui uh, where, we're, where we can take a little break. I know you work as hard as I do. And then we, that we can be talking about uh, how, how uh, we were so concerned at this juncture in time that the world uh, may be coming to an end but how that end was a new beginning. And uh, I hope that that's what we're talking about in 20 years and how um, people with uh, very like minds and creative thought form and energetic uh, 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 energy in, in how to refocus uh, the energy of the world into a new place. I'm hoping we're talking about uh, how, how our worries were so unfounded and we made it across the, the finish line in a certain way that people are looking at each other differently and living different lives uh, that um, not only have us being human beings, but having the earth being treated as the mother uh, that, that the earth is. I, I, I certainly hope you're right. Uh, Giancarlo, this, this was uh, too good to be true. I've enjoyed you in just so many uh, good roles. So uh, this is a real treat for me. I know I'm not getting to tap you on the back like you did, Sidney Poitier, but consider me uh, saying hello to you face to face. Thank you, Carlos. It's been wonderful to be with you. I, I knew you were the man. and I hope that we can do this again. Uh, at some point uh, after I have the hardware uh, and, <laughs> and before the 20 years goes by where we're going to be on the beach. And I thank all of all of the folks who your audience and all of your team for, for having me here. But you especially, it's been a pleasure. Giancarlo, I, I appreciate you. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts.
This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.